my name's Randy Ray. I'm the substitute of the substitute, so um, can't complain. Thanks for coming out. No, it's the spring. I know church season's on the tail end, sadly, um, for a lot of people, but I promise the Word of God is more valuable than the judgments of American Idol. I mean, that's what TiVo's for, right? Though we don't have it in Sanjaya, we'll move on, so don't fear. Um, I don't know if you keep up with, with the news. I do when something big happens, like the, like the thing on Monday um, at Virginia Tech. And <clears throat> I don't think this discussion has broken out yet, but it's going to. First of all, everybody wants to talk about video games and then parenting and then gun control. And finally, at some point, it's going to come around to where's God in all this? I mean, how does, if God is God, how does he let this happen? And it's going to be that whole debate. Um, I taught this lesson on Sunday to my Sunday school class. But this I shared with them, and uh, I want to share this with you before we get to that point. Because God is a hard discussion to have in America today. This was a survey done by USA Today, um, and it's entitled, uh, View of God Can Predict Values in Politics and Etc. But here's the opening sentence. The U.S. calls itself one nation under God, but Americans don't have the same image of God in mind. Isn't that true? And then the article goes on to talk about there's really four images of God uh, in mind, except they all agree that their nearest and dearest kin are going to heaven, 75%. Um, but I just want to give you a, 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 br- a brief survey of what they hear the four categories. The first is the authoritarian God, which is in the South where we all live. He is angry at humanity's sins and engaged in every creature's life and worldly affairs. He is ready to throw the thunderbolts of judgment down on the unfaithful or the ungodly. Another group, uh, the Midwest, is the benevolent God. He still sets absolute standards for mankind in the Bible uh, and enforces Christian values. And he is a forgiving God who embraces repentant prodigal children. Third group is the critical God uh, who has his judgmental eye on the world and everything. And um, he's not going to intervene or punish or comfort. And the last group, which is the saddest, uh, is the distant God, which says it's not an, a bearded man in the sky. He just kind of created things and then just let it go. And guys, um, the problem with a survey like this is it's all based on feeling. First of all, we've got to stand back and say, our view of God, does it even matter? Uh, and I would argue to you that it does. Because whatever God's view is in your mind, whether it's rightly or wrongly, that's the way that you're going to relate to Him. The problem with the survey is nothing is based on concrete truth. It's all based on, here's what I feel about God in this situation. Or here's what I think God would do in the situation. And guys, I know that, that, that you know, feelings can be great liars. Um, enormous liars. How many of us have scars because of, we felt this was the right thing to do and, and learned out later that it might not have been. So let's go to a place that matters. If we want to have right thoughts about God, then our thoughts and opinions of Him have to be formed from Scripture. Scripture has to inform our thoughts and opinions about who God is. If you've got your Bible, we're going to be in Judges chapter 10. And let me set this up for you, um, because this is not a a popular text. There's no big character in a text. Um, This isn't Gideon or so-and-so and so-and-so. This is just where we were Sunday morning. Judges 10, chapter 6, or Judges 10, verse 6. We're going to look at verses 6 to 16. Let's turn our attention to the word of the Lord. 
The people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtoreths, the gods of Syria, the gods of Sidon, the gods of Moab, the gods of the Ammonites, and the gods of the Philistines. We'll talk about that in a minute. There's a reason why all those are listed. And they forsook the Lord and did not serve Him. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and He sold them into the hand of the Philistines and into the hand of the Ammonites. And they crushed and oppressed the people of Israel that year. For 18 years they oppressed all the people of Israel who were beyond the Jordan in the land of the Amorites, which is in Gilead. And the Ammonites crossed the Jordan to fight also against Judah and against Benjamin and against the house of Ephraim so that Israel was severely distressed. Now, I want you to pay close attention um, to what the Lord's response is in these next few verses. And the people of Israel, in verse 10, cried out to the Lord, saying, We have sinned against you because we have forsaken our God and have served the Baals. And the Lord said to the people of Israel, Did I not save you from the Egyptians and from the Amorites, from the Ammonites and from the Philistines, the Sidonians also and the Amicalites? And the Mayanites oppress you, and you cried out to me, and I saved you from their hand. Yet you have forsaken me and served other gods. Therefore, I will save you no more. Go and cry to the gods whom you have chosen, and let them save you in the time of your distress. And the people of Israel said to the Lord, We have sinned. Do to us whatever seems good to you. Only please deliver us this day. So they put away the foreign gods from amongst them and served the Lord. And he became impatient over the misery of Israel. Let's pray together before we look at God's Word. Father, um, we do come before you tonight and and humble ourselves. Were we to think that we had within us the capacity to rightly um, examine your Word and apply it to our lives, we would be fools. Uh, And we beg that you would give us grace from the Holy Spirit to do that rightly this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. I think if we want to rightly view and relate to God as he is supposed to be viewed and related to there are three things from this text that we got to get. There are three things from this text that, that stand out that we can apply to the way that we view God. And the first is this, and this might shock some people. Um, the first is that God will give you your sin if you want it. Is that shocking to anybody? Uh, it was to me, because I grew up in well-meaning people that would say, um, you know, you're probably, God will never let you get to this point, because da 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 And it, all you got to do is open the Bible. Look at David. David broke all the commandments at one time within a course of like two days. Um, There wasn't this holy halo that protects him from blowing his life. If you want to ruin it by chasing your sin, he will let you. You are free to go do that. I want you to see it in the text. It's found in verses 6 to 9. And I know you don't know the context because we're not studying the whole book and I just kind of jumped in the middle. But if you know anything about the book of Judges... They sin and blow it and cry out and God delivers them. And they sin and they blow it and they cry out. And this goes over. We're in the, like the third hundred year of this. Um, and, and if you'll see in the context, Tola and Jair, now they've had 45 years of peace and blessing. And they decide in verse 6, they're going to go serve some foreign gods. And you may have heard, if you're familiar with the Old Testament, about Ashtoreth and Baal. And, and, and the reason why all these other nations are listed is because they didn't just go serve the Ashtoreths and the Baals of the Ammonites. They went and served the Asherahs and the Baals of seven different nations because they were all different. I mean, they blew it. 
They went and chased idolatry as deep as they could get their hands immersed in. With all their might. And look at the Lord's response in verse 7. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and He sold them into the hand of the Philistines and the hand of the Ammonites. So here the anger of the Lord is kindled, and He sells His people into the hands of their enemies. It's not a happy time. And then the next sentence is awful. And they crushed and oppressed the people of Israel that year. And then for 18 more years, that's the scene. And they cross the river and they go to the, the north and take over Judah. And so now all of Israel, verse 9 says, is in severe distress. Um, in the end, that's really what our sin gets us, isn't it? Crushed and oppressed and severely distressed. Uh, I don't know if you've seen the movie. It's become a classic in our home. You probably have. The Christmas Story. Has anybody seen that? The kid wants a what? Red Ryder BB gun. And everybody tells him, you can't have a Red Ryder BB gun because you're going to shoot out your eye. And if you've watched the movie, you know he gets a Red Ryder BB gun and pretty much shoots out his eye. Um, growing up for me, it wasn't a Red Ryder BB gun. I, we, we liked guns, um, so I had BB guns. And was shooting out windows and getting in all kind of trouble. Um, but for me, at some point, I don't know how this happened, whether a byproduct of society or what, I decided I needed an identity. That was my thing. It wasn't a BB gun. I needed an identity. And I, and I put this together in high school. I thought, you know, if I could be a great athlete and date a pretty girl and make good grades, that's, that's pretty well-rounded. And so I got to college skating on that kind of thing. I was really a jerk in high school, by the way. And I get to college, and then and that changed a little bit more. I said, I need to add to this. I need to be able to party on Thursday nights and ace exams on Friday morning, and then I need to be able to lead a Bible study just for good measure on Sunday morning at the fraternity house. And I did that for about six months. And I remember waking up one um, morning. Was, I don't even remember when it was. I remember it was cold and raining, and I was in a bunk bed. And I remember waking up weeping, saying, I cannot do this anymore. I cannot do this. This was the point of crushed and oppressed and distressed. I cannot do this. I cannot continue to live like this. I don't even want the identity. Now, why does the Lord allow His chosen people, His children, to get to that point? I don't know. But all I know is this. If you want it bad enough and you want to chase it, He'll let you have it. And when you get it, you can be crushed and oppressed and surely distressed. Uh, I don't know about you, but that terrifies me. Um, were the Lord to remove grace tomorrow and let me have what the longing of my heart wants sometimes? That scares me. Uh, and I think if anything, by way of application, it ought to affect the way that we pray. Um, Lord, save us from our own sinful longings and redirect the longings of our heart. Because I'm telling you, if He doesn't, we're ruined. If the Lord doesn't redirect the longing of your and my hearts for righteousness, we are ruined in the things that we'll chase. That's the first thing, and I promise it gets better. The second thing, but this is not better. Based on this text, if you want to know God rightly, you have to understand that He knows the real you. And you might think, well, of course He does. I want you to see it, because this is profound. So much for the distant, disinterested story uh, that we heard in the survey. And you see this in verses 10 to 14. Look at verse 10, because this looks great. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, saying, 
We have sinned against you because we have forsaken our God and have served the Baals. Now, we would look at this and think, hooray for the Israelites. I mean, they are really sad. They are ready. They backsliding or whatever you want to call it, and they are ready to go to church camp and get back on track. I mean, they are ready. They admitted they've sinned. They've served the Baals, and they're ready. Um, but if you really look, this is not repentance. If anything, this might be confession, but it's not repentance. Um, and then look at verse 11, because this is something. And the Lord said to the people of Israel, Did I not save you from the Egyptians and the Amorites and the Ammonites and the, for the Philistines? And then in verse 12, there's even more of them. You know, guys, have we not already done all this? I've already saved you from all these people. A number of times. But you've forsaken me and served their gods, and I don't even know what to do. Uh, with verse 13. Therefore, I will save you no more. Old um, nine commentators that I studied tiptoed around that one. Except for one guy says what everybody's thinking. It almost sounds like Israel is beyond the point of redemption. Now, almost is a big word there. But it's, it's almost like God's saying, you know what? Forget it. I begged Moses to let me create another people, and now I'm at the point, you have so blown it, that just forget it. I'll save you no more. And then verse 14. Go and cry to the gods whom you have chosen and let them save you in the time of your distress. Oh, I mean, this, is, this is awful. I mean, it, it doesn't get worse than this. You know, sorry those other gods didn't work out for you over there, but you really ought to go try to get them to save you. <clears throat> Here's what that would sound like today, because we hear bales and asterisks and everybody's like, ah, we're safe. Don't have a bale or an asteroid pole in the backyard. Um, what it would sound like today is this. Go let all your materialistic pursuits save you. If that's what you want, go cry to all your materialism and let it serve the longings of your heart. If that's what you want to serve. That stings a little more. <clears throat> the, the ironic thing about this, why such a response from God who loves everyone and wants us to be happy and wealthy and prosperous, which he doesn't, um, Baal and Asherah promised to give its followers that. Health, wealth, and prosperity. You have lots of kids, lots of crops, and be really happy. So let them save you. And then look at verse 15 really, really, really closely. Because this looks good. And the people of Israel said to the Lord, We have sinned. Do to us whatever seems good to you. Only please deliver us this day. And we read that, it, it looks great. But let me show you the flaw. Um, because I'm afraid this is a lot of evangelicalism and what we call repentance. This is not true repentance. Um, this is not, I want fellowship with the living God. I want to know Him. I want to be known by Him. This is simply, I want what He can give. Now there's a huge difference between wanting the giver and wanting the things that He can give. They're not interested in a reconciled fellowship and relationship. They are simply interested in the benefits that he provides. And one of the things that he's really good at providing is safety and deliverance from their enemies. We're sorry, we can do whatever, we'll do whatever you want. Um, just please deliver us. That's not repentance. You can fool me and your spouse and your friends, but you cannot fool God. 
The one who created your heart and placed it within your breast and knows its longing better than you do. There is no masquerading with him. Sherry and I, every once in a while, we're not big fans. We do watch American Idol. Um, just because of kids and Baz and all. We don't have time to watch a lot of TV. But will you, have you ever seen that To Catch a Predator? I forget what channel it's on. Has anybody seen that? We get stuck. Well, maybe it's because we have small kids. Um, but what they do, it's set up and, and they've tracked all these men, I think, online who want to have an affair with like a 14-year-old girl. And they track them and they set it up at this house and they film it and the guy walks in and there's a girl and she's like, i got to go do something. And then the host steps out and is like, hey. And, 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 you know, they're caught. And then you hear what they do for a living. I mean, school teachers and pa- everybody. Um, and, and it's so interesting to see their... Because they know when he comes out, they've all seen it. As soon as he comes out, they know they're exposed. As soon as he steps out, I mean, you see the mask come off and it's like, oh no. Now everyone knows who I really am. And, and guys, I wonder what it would look like if spiritually we really had to do that. If we really had to peel off all the exterior layer and see who we really were. Because guys, I'm telling you, you can fool everybody but Him. Who are you? What lies beneath the veneer that you wear? It's, it's a hard thing to respond to. It's even harder to, to, to gauge. Uh, the thing that I fear the most is, is, is people who think they're safe and they're really not. And how do you, how do you gauge that? Um, one thing I would encourage you to look at is, is your prayer life. And don't take this legalistically, but what is the majority of time, and, and this is a stretch, I know, assuming that believers have prayer lives. I know that's, that's a hard thing to, to imagine, that I would expect that you have one, but uh, I do. Um, what is the majority, what do you pray about? Um, hey, there's a time for supplication, lots of it. Bunch of time to pray for needs. How often are you really alone with God saying, do you, do you know what I want today? I want you. It's great that you can provide it, that you can do all these things, but what my soul really longs for today is you. I desire to have fellowship and communion with the living God. Because, guys, if we're after all the stuff that He provides, we're no better off than the Israelites in the text. We're just as fooled as they are. <clears throat> a commentator that I've grown to love throughout teaching this series is a guy named Ralph Davis. Um, and he talks about how, why does God not respond to this supposed repentance? And he says, because they know their heart. And listen to this quote. There's a difference between a prodigal son who comes home to his senses and returns home and an adulterous wife who pleads for her husband's security only until she can find someone else to take her in. That's what Israel's doing in the text. They're just coming back for some more deliverance until they can find some more gods to go get their hands into. Real repentance doesn't say, forgive me and by the way, deliver me from my oppressors today. That would be great. It says, forgive me and reconcile my offenses at your holiness and give me yourself fully and then you can do whatever that you want. Whether you deliver me or not is not up to me. I just want you. The last thing that we're going to end with is the most glorious part of the text. Is that His mercy is not contingent upon us. His, the dispensing of His mercy is not contingent upon the acts of His people. One more time, verse 16. Because this looks really good. So they put away the foreign gods from amongst them 
and serve the Lord. Stop there. We would have to stand back now and applaud and go, wow. Maybe this is more than lip service. And we don't really know, but... I mean, how many of you have heard a sermon on idolatry and you go home and smash all your idols? Not many. Um, They took it seriously for whatever reason, and they go home and they rid themselves of their idolatry. And then the Holy Spirit says something in the rest of the verse. And he became impatient over the misery of Israel. Why is that there? This is profound to me. Why didn't he just leave it with, (laughs) they put away all their gods and they served the Lord? This is what I think is going on. Because you can look at, and you know this in the book, End of the Judges, you've got lots more pages. He's going to show up again. They're going to get delivered even from this again. And I think the Holy Spirit weaves this in here to say, look, I know what your tendency is going to be. You're going to read that and think, because they really repented and they really got themselves right, the Lord showed up and did what they asked. That's what it would look like if that statement wasn't there. When Israel got serious about their repentance and serving the Lord, the Lord got serious about delivering Israel. You can't do that with this phrase. It doesn't say the Lord responded to anything that Israel did. Look at the text. And the Lord became impatient over the misery of Israel. He's not looking at this great thing they did. If they did, he's looking at his chosen people going, I cannot stand to see them crushed and oppressed. Their misery is the catalyst to his compassion. Not any work that they did. It's It's the gospel. I mean, that's the gospel in this text. He dispenses his mercy as he pleased, but man, he hates to see his people in misery. Um, one of the most difficult things to do as a parent, once you have some dependents, um, besides feed and clothe them, is to discipline them. And it's why most young couples today don't, and that's wrong. Um, but it's why they don't. It's hard. It takes time. It takes effort. Nobody wants to discipline their kids. Uh, my son did something two weeks ago. I don't even remember what it did because it's a daily occurrence almost. He did something to his sister in the playroom, and it was bad. Uh, and I called him in and um, had a discussion with him, which evoked tears. That wasn't the point. He just doesn't like to emotionally upset dad. And we went to his room for some further disciplinary actions, which means a spanking in our house. And so I give him the talk, and I spank him, and I walk out. And I usually want to let him sit for like five minutes or so, just to to soak it on and think about it. And then I'll come in and, son, do you understand and all that stuff? Two minutes later, I'm in the other room with the TV on, watching my clock. Two minutes later, I hear him sobbing. I mean, he's all curled up in his bed in a fetal, fetal position, you know, as cute as he can be with his head shaved and his John Deere shirt on, just sobbing. And I keep looking at my watch. And finally I got to a point where I was like, God, I cannot sit here anymore. I, I cannot stay mad at him um, for what he has done. I, I've got, I had to just go in there and be with him. I couldn't wait five minutes. Now, rightly or wrongly, guys, that's exactly what's going on in verse 16b. The Lord looks at His people Israel even as they're chasing idols and can't stand to see them be crushed by misery and by getting their sin and by having what they want. 
Do they need to be disciplined? Absolutely. Does it pain the father to see them amidst their disciplinary measures? Yes. But what causes this reaction? It's love. It's not anything they did. It's because he loved and he can't stand to see them in misery. It's difficult to imagine how much Israel's misery moved God. But it appears if he cannot stand to see it. He can't stand to see his people crushed beneath the weight of their afflictions. I'll close with this. Um, I'm not sure what images of God that you brought in here tonight. I'm not sure what you would have said on the survey. Um, and it really doesn't matter. What, what I'm more concerned with is, is what you leave with. And here's the problem about hearing something that I just told you. You could very well leave here and say, you know, um, that was pretty good news. Because that means I can have the longings of my heart's desire, um, but God's going to love me in the end and fix everything. You can do that anytime you hear grace rightfully preached. You can take it and manipulate it and make it sound like, wow, now I've got authority to go do anything like mad and everything's going to be okay. Guys, if that's your response, then you misunderstood something that was said in the text. My son would rather be spanked any day of the week than emotionally upset me via a discussion because he loves me. He would much rather be spanked than have a discussion where I say, Son, I'm so disappointed in the way that you treat your sister, and he just falls apart. The question for us this evening is, do we love our Heavenly Father like this? If we do, then grace is never a license to sin. His grace will cause you to love Him even more and then take drastic measures in your life not to offend the lover of your soul. There's two sides of the coin. Um, And you might hear that this week in the Virginia Tech debate. There's grace and there's judgment. It's not a one-sided coin. Um, Everybody that says, my God is a God of this and He's a God of love, that's great. Yeah, that's one side, but there's another side. There's tension between judgment and grace because both are parts of the character of God. His holiness demands that He judge, and we see that at the cross with Jesus. His holiness demands that He punish sin. Yet His grace longs to spare His people that we also see at the cross. It's a tension that originates in the bosom of God Himself because He is both. And however our formations of the image of God are, they must come from Scripture and not feelings and not culture. Because, friends, if our tendency is to make God safe for all, at all times, then when we do so, we end up worshiping something other than the Holy One of Israel. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You that, that we don't wander in here this evening wondering what You're like uh, and where You were on Monday morning. Father, we get, we, get, we get great comfort from going to Your Word and knowing exactly who You are, exactly the attributes that make You up, and knowing that You aren't surprised by what happens on Monday morning or any other morning of our life. You reign from a throne, and we take great solace and comfort in that. Come for the afflicted that are amongst us this evening, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.